these goddamn kids these days. They take everything for granted. They have no respect for their elders. When I was their age and we wanted to kill teenagers, we had to do it in the woods. When they were on a weekend camping trip, we didn't have elaborate traps. All we had was a machete and a bunch of trees. And the teens these days, uh, back in the day, they didn't have cell phones with the Facebooks or the Instagrams or the GPXs. All they had was drugs and premarital sex, and they liked it. Well, that is until I chopped them up, of course. Geriatric horror on this episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. Attention, planet Earth and beyond. Stay tuned for Attack of the Killer It's that time, once again, time, time to put on your Depends diapers and your corrective shoes. <laughs> it's your one night to stay up late past 6.30. Crank up the volume on your hearing aid, because it's time for Attack of the Killer Podcast. I want to start off by telling you a little story. <laughs> the other day I was in my attic, and I found this old pirate treasure map behind this old photo. My friends and I, we call ourselves Goonies, we hopped on our bikes and we set off on a wild and wacky adventure. And the map led us directly underneath the local wishing well. Now a lot of people throw away their change down there. And I, I can think of a dozen better things you can do with your loose change. Like for example, donate to our Patreon. For just the loose change in your pockets, you can help keep this show going and help us grow bigger and better. Yeah. Because... It's their time up there, but it's our time. Our time down here. Just go to patreon.com backslash AOTKP to check out our perks that you can get, uh, like bonus episodes, um, a chance to uh, suggest a commentary episode. So donate today. So Attack of the Killer Podcast is a proud member of the Phantom Podcast Network. Now, the Phantom Podcast Network features a mixture of different types of horror-themed podcasts. And you can check out the various podcasts, including this one, uh, at downrightcreepy.com backslash phantom. Now, if you're an avid listener, the show's on the network and are just now getting to ours, you're welcome. (laughs) Your life is now complete. (laughs) Attack of the Killer Podcast is a podcast where a group of friends get together and openly discuss horror movies based around a particular topic. Like this episode, where we are going to be discussing the elderly in horror films. We freely discuss these films, so there may be spoilers. So, before we get into this topic, it is that time where we introduce you to the podcast crew. He's so old, he thinks emails won't be delivered on Sundays. Brian Clark, everybody. (laughs) What's that? (laughs) Hello, everybody. At weddings, old people poke her and say, jokingly, You're next. So she's so tired of that, she started doing that to them at funerals. Terry Turford, everybody. That's actually a really awesome suggestion because that definitely does happen to me at weddings. So, thank you. I'm going to do that. No problem. 
<laughs> uh, and lastly, he's becoming so seen now that he is getting rather frustrated with the constant reruns on the Food Channel. Turns out he was just watching the microwave. Jason Bollinger, everybody. <laughs> hi. I said hi. Hi. Turn it up. <laughs> okay, so um, so our topic is the elderly in horror films. So I think the first movie we should talk about is... Wait! Wait, this just in. It's time for Killer News. Now it's time for... Killer News. Ripped straight from the headlines on Attack of the Killer Podcast. Legendary Pictures has released a new teaser video showing a partial timeline of events in what has come to be called their Monsterverse. It shows a couple of events related to Skull Island in the King Kong movie and comic book that came out to promote it, as well as a new event from 1991 at a location called Isle de Mona, where Monarch set up a base under the guise of environmental research, but is in fact a containment facility. Fan speculation so far is that this is setting up the arrival of Rodan in 2019's Godzilla King of Monsters, since the original 1956 Rodan movie had the flying reptiles take up residence in a volcano. It could also be a reference to the planned but unfilmed Volcano Monsters, which was to have featured new footage shot with the Godzilla and Angira suits from Godzilla Raids Again. On the Enough with the Goddamn Collector Edition repackaging front, Best Buy has announced... (laughs) Best Buy has announced that this fall they will have exclusive steelbook editions of most of the main Universal Monsters movies with new artwork by Alex Ross. Ooh, cool. Although this... Yeah, I know. Alex Ross's work is awesome. He does some kick-ass Ultraman stuff. Although this kind of thing annoys the hell out of me, Ross's artwork is so good I might spring for at least the Creature from the Black Lagoon disc, because Creature's my favorite universal monster. Me too. And finally, another obituary. David Cronenberg's wife, Carolyn, has passed away of an undisclosed illness at just 66 years old. They met when she was a production assistant on Rabbit in 1979 and have worked together on many of his films since. Considering David tends to work out his real-life issues by making deeply personal and disturbing films, my second thought upon seeing this news was how awful it must be for him, and my first was that we're probably going to get a really fucked-up movie out of it. <laughs> yeah, probably, yeah. Man, that sucks. That's that's sad. All us horror fans, our hearts go out to David Cronenberg during this time. Cool. Well, thank you for the killer news. Fucking Rodan! I know it's awesome, and to back it up, I don't care if it fits here or not. You got to tell us you met fucking Godzilla, dude. Yeah, yeah, that I did. Uh, I uh, went to oh, oh, casually, you casually <laughs> met Godzilla. <laughs> no, I was totally giddy as a fucking six-year-old on Christmas morning. It was awesome. Uh, Haruo Nakajima, who was the original Godzilla. And Tsutomu Kitagawa, who was Godzilla from 2000 through 2004, were at Days of the Dead in Indianapolis. And since Nakajima is 88 years old, he had a stroke a few years ago and his health has been declining ever since. His ability to fly from Japan to the United States is dwindling, and uh, typically he tends to do cons on the coast anyway. So I figured this was very likely my last chance to ever get to meet the guy without having to get on a plane. So, after work on Friday, I jumped in my car, drove to Indianapolis, 
crashed at my god sister's place, went to the convention, met uh, Nakajima and Kitagawa, and then turned around and drove home. <laughs> I didn't have the time or the money to do the rest of the con. It looked awesome. I did get to talk to the uh, Bandit Pictures team a little bit, um, and they were very cool. I bought some movies from them, and I picked up a Night of Something Strange from the filmmakers who yeah, put that nice. one out. But, uh, I otherwise did not really have a lot of time to spend you know meeting people and looking around i just it was mostly a godzilla trip for me but i definitely want to go back and you know do the con for the whole weekend because it looked like a lot of fun that's cool and that's awesome that you got to fucking godzilla meet him before it you know too late it's it's weird i wonder why that con and not g-fest though i know considering g-fest is in you know, two weeks away from Days of the Dead in Chicago, so not that far away. But mm-hmm. I contact when I found out about Days of the Dead, I contacted the G Fest people to find out if they were planning on getting them as guests, just in case. You know, I didn't want to make two trips if I didn't have to, but uh-huh. they weren't. So I figured, well, <laughs> I guess I better take my shot while it's there. Yeah, fucking awesome. Very cool. Very happy for you. That's exciting. Yea, that was pretty big that deal. Was a, a big yeah. idea. For me, yeah. <laughs> Big fucking deal. <clears throat> All right, awesome. So, uh, speaking of... Uh, yeah, a million-year-old dudes. <laughs> oh, who wants to start us off? Um, uh, well, Terry. Terry! What? Okay. Um, what did I watch? I watched... <laughs> Late phases. Me too. Me three. Me four. Yay! <laughs> it's the first time in a while that we've all seen the same movie. Um, it was really good. Uh, about um this blind vet whose wife passes away, and his son, uh, Ethan Embry, that's his name, right? I yep. think that's right. Oh yeah. Um moves his dad into like this retirement community um and then things are a little off and old people start getting um eaten alive in their homes by rabbit animals quote unquote from the woods and this um this guy figures it all out and kicks some ass it's awesome I really enjoyed it. Uh, it it seems they like the the local police and everything act like this is something that goes on constantly. Like every time the full moon cycle, like mm-hmm. usually you know, and they just write it off like just animals in the woods. You know, they it's just so glossed over that uh, that a blind man could figure it out before the police do. So um, <clears throat> it was a very good flick. I really enjoyed it. For sure. And it had, um, oh shoot, um, Frankie from Monster Squad. Noonan? Yeah. Um, yeah, he Tom was Noonan. Tom yeah. Noonan. Yeah. He was great. He was yeah. awesome. Kind of the red herring of the film. Yeah. For sure, yeah. Now, then I don't know if, they, if the makers of this movie uh, were anticipating all horror fans to have seen Silver Bullet before, but the second I saw Tom Noonan dressed up as a. <laughs> As a priest, I'm like, yep, yeah. okay, he's the werewolf. <laughs> <clears throat> What'd you think of it, Jason? Uh, I thought it was really good. I liked 
I liked the uh, the main old guy, blind guy. He was um, pretty kick-ass. Um, there were a couple moments maybe I'm like, you sure he can't see? I mean, like, he's getting around pretty well. But, no, um, it was good. It was a good werewolf movie. What would you think of the werewolves? I love Oh. Oh. My. I liked them. I thought they were cheesy. They looked like a monkey fucked the creature <laughs> from It Lives by Night, so a.k.a. the bat people. So they didn't have a big <laughs> snout. Or, you know, wolf-like features. Uh, <laughs> they were hairy. Mike, tell them why they were cool. <laughs> they, they were hairy. Yeah, see? Well, if, if it was a were chihuahua monkey movie, then yeah. But. I, maybe it was. This whole time I've been trying to Puppy figure out... Baby, or whatever that commercial is. Oh, fuck. I've been... Ch- oh, God, yeah. Um, I've been trying to figure out what the face reminded me of. I can't remember... I can't put my finger on what, monst- what movie monster that I thought it looked like. But it was... It was definitely one that I thought was a good monster, so I didn't mind this one because of that. Yeah, it didn't have like a full-on snout or anything. Still had ears, didn't it? Like, yeah, yeah, big doggy yeah. ears. Yeah, and it's obviously you know guys in costumes, you know, like um, God intended. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so if if any of it comes off cheesy, maybe they just shouldn't have lit them so well. Maybe. Would be my thing. Yeah, but I liked they the reveal. They, I mean, it was full on. Like you got really clear visuals of it. Like yeah. I would have rather. Like I think that overall they were okay. It was, I think, just the close ups of like the faces. I was just like, mm, didn't need that. <laughs> like <laughs> it would have been better without so many close ups. I found them extra disappointing because the transformation sequence was so good. Yeah, that it's I, all this really kick-ass build-up, and it's like, oh, that? All right. <laughs> they did have a pretty sweet transformation sequence, but it, it seems like that's kind of a new thing now with werewolf movies, too, because I can think of a couple movies that do that as well, where the werewolf rips out from underneath the skin. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. the skin's just a shell. They do that in uh, Trick or Treat, too. Yeah. Yeah. And in uh, The Company of Wolves. Oh, that's right. Yeah, a werewolf the anthology ones, right? movie from, what, 1984, I think? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah they did that. that in that really shitty Hemlock Grove show, too. Oh, that was, no. like, the one cool thing is the transformation scene. <laughs> I just realized the only thing I've said about the movie so far is negative. I actually really like this movie because, <laughs> the, because the script and the performances are... You know, they far outweigh the severely disappointing creature design. Yeah, the poor. I, the worst part, though, is by far the dog dying. Oh yeah. <laughs> that was. Well, I just want to say one more thing about the creature design, real quick, in the fact that I appreciate that it's just, it's a, it's just a guy in a suit because of the way it moves. It moves a lot more human-like. You know, they're they're trying. It's not trying to hunch over. It's not moving slow because the bottom half of the legs are stilts, like your howlings or your, um, you know, waxwork werewolf or whatever. Um, <clears throat> so it kind of has a little bit more of like classic Wolfman appeal to me in that regard. So that's why I like them. 
It's more like, ah, I'm gonna get you. Yeah. 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 And one way uh, or another. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. That's right. But don't kill the dog. That's not nice. No, I liked how he was. He was using that shovel as his cane for the. Yeah. Next that was cool. I mean, he was. It, <clears throat> anybody who know who that actor is? I don't. The guy who played the dad. Our lead. Because I thought he was awesome. He I thought he did like a really good job. Land guy, but I'm not sure. What's that? He looked a lot like the steak land guy, but. Oh, okay. But I'm not sure. Now I have to look. What? Okay. Because <laughs> what I liked about him is that he was an asshole. He was, he's not a nice guy. You know, he's pretty, pretty much a hard ass. But he still he seems to have a good reason to be an asshole, though. I think if he does, that dude well, shoes, you'd be an asshole too. Well, and that's the thing. You still, I still really liked the guy. I, I was invested in his character to where I could, I was not put off by this movie. You know, like you know, sometimes you get like a, a lead that is you know an asshole character or whatever, and it kind of ruins the whole movie because you have to follow this asshole around for an hour and a half. But he was still. There was still enough sympathetic. Um, oh, you're right. Because uh, yeah, okay, he isn't Steak Lamb. Because um, you know, there's yeah, there's still enough enough sympathy about the character that you make you, that you like him and you understand kind of where he's coming from. And the other thing with it too, with his kind of like, you know, just kind of waiting to to die attitude, you know, being in this old folks home, that. I didn't find the movie could have very easily gone down a very depressing path. Again, to the point where it would ruin it for me, because like, why do I want to watch? Why do I want to watch something depressing? That's what real life is for. Um, yeah. But and and it kind of it kind of feels that way a little bit, but not enough for me to to put me off from the movie. Like I was again still wanting this guy to be victorious yep. in the end. Yeah. Even though he clearly had a death wish through the whole thing, so. Did you say that because he kind of looks like Charles Bronson? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you got him on that one. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, I don't care what it is, I'll watch Ethan Emery in anything. Kind of have a yeah. little yeah. crush on Ethan Emery. That's great. Yeah. Ever since, uh, ever since, I mean, I've always liked the guy back in the day. You know, like Empire Records and that shit, but like I totally didn't realize it was the same guy when he kind of reinvented himself. You know, lost the hair and you know built himself up and whatnot. But ever since I saw him in Cheap Thrills, like I'll I will literally watch anything that he's in. Doesn't matter. You've seen the uh, Don Coscarelli Masters of Horror episode incident on and off a mountain road. Absolutely, yes. yeah, absolutely. And that was before, very, um, and that was before I made the connection of who Ethan Emery is when I saw that Don Casarelli. You know, when I watched when I watched um, that that one, I uh, for some reason was like that that guy looks like Trey Parker, but I know it's not Trey Parker. Who is this guy? So yeah, so. <laughs> The transformation to werewolf is cool, but um, if we're doing the skin peeling effect now for werewolf transformations, I want to see changing back into a human, what that looks like. 
Yeah. <laughs> right? You, you don't have see to that. Get a new layer of skin on the outside. I, I, I've always thought that too. I'm like, or do they just have like perpetual layers? Like they build a new one underneath or something, and Could they be. shed the but, the fur, and then there's yeah. a human inside, or yeah, like a snake, you know. I yeah. like to think that it looks a great deal like Jim Carrey climbing out of the robot rhinoceros in Ace Ventura 2. <laughs> Just the most undignified transformation. Yeah. But it's true. I mean, that's never really addressed the change back, you know? Not, at least in those cases, with the skin shedding. And how come no one ever finds these skin sacks laying around? Right? Because you would think... If somebody found that skin sack, they would quickly be able to identify who the werewolf is. Because that skin sack's still going to have fingerprints and shit. True. You're a skin sack. I just like saying skin sack. You do. <laughs> it's going to be this episode's drinking game, I think. How many times do I say skin sack? Stop it! Oh, you guys need games to do that? Oh! No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It was surprisingly good. On Netflix. Everybody can watch it. And it's a Netflix original, right? Right. It was produced by Netflix. Who's the director? Anybody know anything about that guy? Sure. Well, yeah. Um, the director was Adrian Garcia Bogliano. Yeah, I was just thinking, I thought I heard a Adrian. I'm sorry, there's an emphasis on that. But he did something else. He's done lots of stuff. Uh yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. I mean, just something that stand that would oh. stand out to me. He did. Um, he wrote some. He wrote "Here Comes the Devil." And the B is for Bigfoot, and ABC's a death. But. Yeah, looks like well, yeah. What other directing credits does he have? This is exciting stuff. Looking at IMDb. All on a podcast. Um, nothing that screams at me is something that I've s- seen before. I mean, he has right. several titles, but... Okay. Alright, <laughs> we can move on. Cool. Anything else anybody want to add about late phases? Oh, who was the, the actor... I forgot to look this up. The actor who played the... Um, the guy that was peddling um, uh, gravestones, he looked very familiar. Oh, I don't know. I can't even no. remember. I can't even okay. remember. Oh, crap. I am looking over Jason's shoulder. Is that Tina Luis? Up, 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 up. There. Played who? Clarissa. Clarissa. Click on that. You guys know who Tina, Tina Luis is, don't you? That's right. Ginger on Gilligan's Island, motherfuckers. Oh. <laughs> That's awesome that she's still working. That's cool. I was going to say, the guy that was the selling the gravestones has been in a ton of stuff. What's his name? Um, Larry Fessenden. The name sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah because I rant about him whenever... Uh... He pops up in a thing, and I completely forgot <laughs> he was in this, and I forgot to rant about him because I fucking love Larry Fessenden. He's awesome. What else yeah. is he? What else is he in? 
Uh, well, he's a filmmaker, too. He's not just yeah. an actor, although he is really good in pretty much everything he does. Uh, he's uh, like the hillbilly clan leader dad in Jugface. He's the radio announcer that ties uh, Southbound together. He pops up in tons of stuff, but he's made a ton of great movies. Uh, Wendigo. Um, oh, yeah, okay. All right. Uh, the Last Winter. Yeah. I Sell the Dead. And yeah, he's in I Sell the Dead. That's right. Mm-hmm. And also Stakeland. Yeah. Oh, shit. Now I'm going to have to watch Stakeland again. Damn it. <laughs> okay, Speaking cool. Speaking of Stakeland, there's a, there's a sequel. Yeah, that came Netflix. out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah, where did that come from? <laughs> I heard nothing about that. Anyway, that's not related much at all. No, but that's very, it's very cool. Yeah, I'll have to check it out and see if it's as good as the first one. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, so we can move on from late phases. Uh, Brian, what about what about you? What movie do you want to talk about? Oh, let's see. What movie do I want to talk about? How about Rabid Grannies? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did anyone else watch Rabid Grannies? Terry, I think you did, right? Yep, I did. I did. Did you watch it? You did? I, oh my god, really? J- Jason did, but I missed it. Wow. So I'll let you guys have I'm it. Right? Not expecting that. <laughs> isn't, it, isn't this like the one trauma thing? Or I guess it's distributed yeah. by tr- by trauma anyway. Yeah, it's a trauma. I missed the trauma film. Yeah, what the hell? I watched it. <laughs> and? And? <laughs> How great was it, Terry? It's special. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's fun. All right. Directed in 1988 by Emmanuel Kervin. <laughs> this is actually a Belgian movie uh, with a reported budget of around $150,000. It was picked up for distribution by Trauma, and they changed the title to Rabbit Grannies. The original title being uh, Le Mames, Mames. I don't know how to speak French or even pronounce many of the words cannibals, which actually translate to the cannibal grannies, which is more fitting since the movie has fuck all to do with rabies. Uh, It's about these two aunts who have invited all of their shitty little nieces and nephews to come to their house for their birthday. And of course everyone is coming because the aunts are rich and all the nieces and nephews want to, to, you know, kiss their ass so they can get a nice big chunk of their inheritance. Uh, the one nephew who's kind of the outsider of the family, who's a, a black magician, sends a present, some sort of occult MacGuffin, that turns the two old ladies into... Shouldn't it be rabid aunties? Because they're not... Anyway. I know. <laughs> they said aunties the whole movie, and then... Yeah. yeah. But it turns them into demons, and then they just proceed to tear everyone apart in random, amusing ways. I love that that uh, the first time you see someone die when they get possessed, the one just her hand stretches all the way across the table. Yeah, and grabs yeah. that little kid across, now, and that his is, jaw unhinges. But that is the one scene I have seen from this movie. There was a compilation video back in the day put out by Gorgon Video, which was called Gorgon's Video Magazine, and it was hosted by Michael Berryman, and it was like. You know, interviews and clips and stuff and different st- different things in horror. And there was like a section where they went. This one guy did movie reviews, and one of them was Rabid Grannies. 
and they showed that scene of the arm stretching across the table and all that. So, and this is one that I remember seeing at uh, the video store. Oh yeah, when I was a yeah. kid, when my parents would take me to rent movies, and I would waste all of the time in the horror section looking at things that they'd never allow me to rent, and I was <laughs> was fascinated by the idea of this movie and the cover art which again the cover art like the title has nothing to do with the movie and so now finally seeing it all these years later i i'm not disappointed i actually really enjoyed this movie big surprise i'm sure that's cool that it you know it lived up after all those years of having it built up for you because like i i knew it was a trauma or at least on the trauma label and so i always kind of expected it to be a trauma movie but then when i started watching it like you can immediately tell from the film quality which i'm guessing is probably 16 millimeter and uh you know just the the look and clear age of the movie it was not a trauma movie it was just one of their distro titles yeah so that that immediately perked my interest up because it has that kind of your you know how vintage european movies look different yeah there's just some in shooting in, in mansions and castles and things I'm sure has a lot to do with it because you just have so much production value scattered around the place. But uh, apparently a lot of the French-speaking actors spoke their English lines phonetically. Oh, nice. But then they were all redubbed into by actual English speakers because no one could understand what the fuck they were saying. But the English-speaking voice actors were stuck trying to match their weird speech patterns... And so even even though the lines are spoken by actual English speaking actors, they still sound like they're being spoken by people who can't speak English. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's kind of a, a pet peeve of mine when I listen to other podcasts or horror fans talk about trauma movies, and they just lump everything in as just a trauma movie. I always feel like I I always try to make a point to clarify the difference between a trauma movie and a trauma um, distributed movie a trauma acquisition Um, because like granted a lot of stuff that they acquire does kind of fall into their wheelhouse and does kind of like you know but they do have some titles that are so not like like anything trauma has ever done or put out that it you know it's amazing i mean they they released the stenhall syndrome they were the first people to release stenhall syndrome by dario argento for crying out loud you know so you know so i you know i always try to make a point and it kind of sounds like this is in the same same vein you watch it and you can instantly tell that it's not a lloyd kaufman production yeah and it's still it's still got a sense of humor i mean there's you were very clearly not meant to take this movie seriously it it does have kind of a splat stick sensibility but doesn't have that new york punk rock scene like trying way too fucking hard to be silly and shocking attitude it's it's a little more uh laid back in its attempt to be ridiculous here my impression of it is this and this will probably make you want to see it more than anything mike okay it starts out have you seen the ghastly ones or seeds of sin Oh yeah! Any of those Andy Milligan's favorite yeah. subgenre of making movies about horrible dysfunctional families, the first half hour is pick your old Andy Milligan movie about that topic, and then it turns into old school Peter Jackson for about the last sixty minutes. Oh, nice, nice. And that's where I had the trouble because, like, that first thirty minutes because was the first hard. half hour is fucking boring as shit. It's yes. bad. Because like it's just fun. horrible, unlikable people bickering at each other. Yeah. 
but once the grannies get possessed, I'm, the I'm glad I got through it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so, and then Jason just becomes like, uh, yeah, like he's, it definitely has this kind of Peter Jacksony feel, probably because it's foreign-ish, you know. But it's also well, it's just, not foreign-ish; it is foreign. Well, yes, yes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, then it gets crazy and fun, and you know, the the gore happens, the kills happen. Then, you know, then it's entertaining. But all that shit getting up to that was rough. Yeah, it was a little slow. Because through that first half hour, I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to make it. <laughs> I don't know. But by, but when it was over, I'm like, yeah, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, you know. But, and it was kind of fun. Yeah. yeah, You could totally fast forward. <laughs> All that shit. Well, awesome. What would you th think, Terry? Um, yeah, I definitely thought that it was a little boring at first, but as soon as, yeah, that dinner scene where the grannies start uh, transforming, it just got crazy. So that's the moment then when shit starts hitting the fan? Oh, yeah. Up until that point, it's just kind of meh. Okay. Oh, oh, and there's the one fucking lady who has the worst bangs in the world. Like, <laughs> they are literally, like, three, like, little clumps of strands of hair, like, sprawled out, and, like, a claw on her fucking forehead. Oh, my God, it drove Mike, me crazy the whole movie. Mike loves that shit. Oh. The higher, the better for him, but... Yeah, let's poof those bangs, man. That stuff's hot. No, but it's just, like, three little strands. Like, it's not even... It's just... Uh, yeah. You think you think bangs are hot on a woman who looks like Dario Argento, huh? <laughs> oh, well, maybe not. He just longs for the eighties, is all that means. I do. Cool. Rapid grannies. Yeah, dude, you'll like it. I will watch it. Yeah. I I didn't get a chance to watch it because I was too busy watching other shit like uh Cockneys vs. Zombies, Fuck right? Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love that movie. I was so good. I feel like if I have accomplished anything with this episode, is finally getting your ass to watch Cockneys vs. Zombies. Well, you you have to give me. You have to admit. <laughs> you have to. Well, there's a lot of verses out there. Yeah, and a lot of them are crap. Now, I mean, I don't think that this one screams Sci-Fi Network, no. but. There's, but all this versus crap, I just is mostly yeah. not good, right? Once right? you see sure. the movie, it doesn't scream that. But no. I thought that too, and I watched this movie for the first time probably, I don't know, almost a year ago. Whenever it first popped up on Netflix, it was one of those. I'm drunk. I'm not going to bed yet, but I'm not going to pay attention to anything. So I guess I'll watch this. Uh -huh. And then almost from the. Well, not almost, from the very first scene when oh. you get that cool uh, rod puppet operated zombie in that old Roman plague Fuck pit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, holy shit, this movie's actually going to be good, and then it doesn't stop kicking ass. That's right. At all. It's I, great. And I totally forgot about that scene. I had seen this movie maybe about a year or so ago, and I think that, I think that was based off of Terry's recommendation, so it all started with you, Terry. Yeah, um, I think I watched it when I was working at the video store, and it was one I just sort of randomly watched to watch it because I got it for free. And 
yeah. ended up loving it for sure. Absolutely, but I had totally forgotten how the zombie plague even started. I, my memory is that they didn't show it. It was just like every other zombie movie anymore, where they just they don't show how it starts. But they had fucking skeletons. Yeah, fucking animate that were re- it was good. Those were practical. That looked yeah. good. It wasn't CGI that shit. Looked cool. It was very cool, very cool looking. And you just see that one walking up from behind behind that guy. Yeah. You know, oh, very very cool. So like, it's a supernatural thing in this movie, but it, I guess. I don't know. It kind of reminds me a little bit of like uh, the opening scene in Burial Ground, but that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could see that. They weren't they weren't Etruscans this time though. Yeah, yeah. But I could totally see why being standoffish at this movie, the title is horrible. And especially coming out at a time when like there was a lot of these versus movies. And I'm looking at that cover too. That's nothing that would scream to me that nope. I need to watch it. Not really. Yeah. Nothing special there. No. Yeah. Marketing is not so great in general. Now this is a uh, um, what country? Somebody British. British. No. <laughs> Cockney is British. He's, yeah. He doesn't. He's specifically a, a South London thing. They yeah. they say you're not a true Londoner unless you were born in eyesight of Big Ben. So I feel like there's maybe a few jokes here and there. Fuck you and your trivia. <laughs> 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 That's right. So, um, I feel like there's maybe a few jokes here and there that sure. get a little lost in translation. And I, I, like, people were trying to talk to me while I was watching this movie, and I, oh, like, no. I couldn't. And they're like, hey. And I'm like, what? You were saying something? Because, like, I had to, like, work to understand the you do. accent. You oh, do this, accents, isn't even, I didn't, this isn't even that bad. Have I didn't have subtitles. Block? Yeah, that one's rough, oh, too. Yeah. But that, one's, that one's pretty rough. But I didn't have subtitles. I, mean, it was I fucking fun. love that movie, but. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Goddamn. Yeah, that one's rough with the accents for sure. But they both, both of them had Harry Treadway in them before yeah, he kind of went on to do Penny Dreadful and whatnot. Okay. Oh yeah, that is who that. <laughs> I knew I looked. He looked familiar, and I was yeah. like, God, I know that guy from something. Gotcha. Yeah, he's, okay. he's the the drug dealer guy and. Attack the block too, the oh, wow. one with the headphones in. Yeah, you're right. Nice. She's right. <laughs> and I still think I said this. I think the last time we talked about this movie, but my favorite scene still is the old man that's sleeping outside. <laughs> yes. Fuck yeah! And that I knew it was going to happen. <laughs> the second they looked out and he was still asleep, I'm like, I know where this is going. Fuck. <laughs> And then so 18 funny. minutes later when that scene was over, I'm like, that, Mike I, has to love that scene. I do, because they got that intense chase music going, and he's just slowly <laughs> walking, and the zombie's slowly walking. They finally but, show the wide shot, and it's just like, <laughs> oh my god, we're going to be <laughs> here for a day. <laughs> that's why you want to make, that's why you can't not make comedies, is because of shit like that. Exactly, you're absolutely right, you're absolutely right. <laughs> There's a lot of good. There's a lot of good jokes at, at the expense of old people <coughs> in the movie. Like the one zombie bites the guy's leg, and it was the wooden the, leg. The wooden one. Classic. Yeah. 
<laughs> and uh, you remember, Jason, I said I had a surprise for you earlier. Oh, God. <laughs> the guy whose leg gets bitten and the old guy who falls asleep out on the lawn Wonder what show are, <laughs> are, are two of no fewer than five Doctor Who alumni oh. who appear in this movie. Tony Selby, the guy with the fake leg, played Sabalom Glitz in The Trial of a Time Lord, parts 1 through 4, 13 and 14, and all three episodes of Dragonfire. Michelle Ryan... Uh, played Lady Christina in Planet of the Dead. Honor Blackman was Professor Lasky in Trial of a Time Lord, parts 9 through 12. Georgina Hale was Daisy Kay in The Happiness Patrol. And Richard Briers, who is Hamish, the guy taking a nap, was the chief caretaker and Croagnon in Paradise Towers. You're welcome. Uh, I like to think that he's got notes for all that, but I guarantee that's just all off the top of his head. He just knew that. <laughs> <laughs> and not one of those words he just said means anything to me. I don't know what any of that, that means. That made less sense to you than the accents in this movie. I know. I like. I've tried to stay with it. I was concentrating when you were talking, but I, I don't even I know what you said. You learn. <laughs> Whether I know it or not, someday I'll answer some trivia question, and I won't you even will. know. And like, it's because of you. Just by osmosis. Yep. So with the market was so saturated with zombie films. It's hard to have a film that comes out that offers anything new and interesting. And this has got a few a few great moments like that. Like, Hell yeah. Like the one guy with the metal plate in his head when he becomes a zombie. Fuck yeah. You, you knew know? that was oh, going to yeah, happen, but it was awesome. Yeah. You can't kill him because he's got a metal plate in his head. Yeah. You know, because it's, you know, destroy the brain, yeah, kills the zombies. Just, but It's just really clever. I mean, it's just a short thing, but it's so clever. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so a lot of fun stuff like that uh, throughout this entire movie. And I guess we really didn't set up the plot or anything, but like these this group of people. Idol does that. What's <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, and that's the thing too. Like uh, you know, I talk about some jokes getting lost in translation, and I like to think that I'm cultured enough that there are still some <laughs> jokes like like they don't ham fist jokes like. You know, the soccer hooligans, zombies fighting each other. You just got to know that that's a thing. But, I, you know, I, I like the to whole think scene that that for is, it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like to think that that's uh, such a universally known thing about soccer hooligans that it didn't have to be handed to you. The so joke. Even in zombie death, they must fight each other. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, anybody who doesn't know about soccer hooligans, you know, that. Uh, that scene probably didn't make a lick of sense to him, so. Like, why are the zombies fighting? And why do they understand why the zombies are fighting? Uh-huh. Such a great movie. And the grandpa. Grandpa's badass. badass. Yeah. He's awesome. I want to watch more movies with that guy. <laughs> well, he was. Well, you should Dr. watch some Guy Ritchie movies. He's yeah. in Snatch and Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels. Yep, I've seen those. I was expecting him to say something about Dr. Who. Oh, I know. Every time no, he talks, I think that. Sadly, he was never in Doctor Who, no. Yet. Oh, wait. Alan Ford, yeah, he's good. Uh, anything else about this, about this one? Yeah, it's fucking awesome! Yeah. How the hell? Lots of fun. Yeah, I don't... It was so funny. I thought, that, I thought it was interesting, the whole bank robbery thing. Yeah, I was going to say, that's like, what I liked about it, because they're like this... Yeah. 
doing this bad thing, but they're just nice dudes the whole time. They're doing it for a good cause. Yeah. But they're robbing this bank. So they're still not even anti-heroes. They're always the heroes, you know, and yeah, doing this good thing. And but it's I ridiculous. Like they, Dumb into like, it. Yeah. They run out of the bank like they're going to get caught, and <laughs> then it's just a zombie apocalypse outside. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. How quickly the apocalypse <laughs> is taken over in a matter yeah. of seconds. Man, I wish I could remember, but man, I I lost my shit laughing out loud just two or three times in this movie. I just mm-hmm. couldn't believe it. So funny. It was so good. I like I like the um the little quick flashback scene moments throughout the film. There's the one where they're talking about their parents and it cuts back to the mom and dad giving this nice, you know, wholesome talk. Fatherly talk that you would see a typical, you know, all-American dad giving a talk to, well, not American in this case, but talking to their kids about doing the right thing and being good people and stuff. And as they're talking, they're picking up these fucking guns and they're cocking them. It's like, so we'll be back later, kids. And they go out the door and it's like, you never take us alive, you pigs! You know, and start shooting and stuff. Very funny. So it's funny. It's got some cool gore for you gore hounds Great gore. Yeah. Sadly, relies a little too heavily on the uh, CGI squib. Sure. Yeah, over yeah. real blood effects. But, yeah, that's. But that's that a minor complaint because then you get fun stuff like that. Uh, one zombie's intestines falling out, and like, are they? Do you really think they're dead? And then it's guts fall out <laughs> on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and you, you know, of the movies that we were kind of watching, there aren't really. I mean, there aren't a ton of geriatric horror movies, I guess, but especially there aren't really a lot of comedies, and I feel like maybe people are scared to make fun of old people, but if this movie is any evidence, then they are totally game, you know, (laughs) like, (laughs) to kick some ass and redeem themselves or whatnot. Like, I'm surprised that there aren't more horror films set in like uh, nursing homes and things like that. It just seems like a good opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, well, and on our list, there's, you know, films to talk about. There's three. Tire Mahomes. The old folks in this movie kicked ass. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Yes, they did. So speaking of... uh, old, you know, movies that take place in old folks' homes. Should we, like, get into Bubba Hotep? Bubba Hotep! Yeah. Did you get a chance to rewatch it, Jason? No! Damn it, I ran out. I rewatched it, but I rewatched it with the commentary, see if there's anything you know I could add to the conversation based off of that. How's the commentary for it? It's good. I mean, the DVD, I still have just the DVD. The DVD has two commentaries. There's one with... Don Cascarelli. The other one's better. <laughs> yeah. I'm guessing you watched the Coscarelli one, right? Yeah, I watched the one with Coscarelli yeah. and Bruce Campbell. And then the other one is just Bruce Campbell, but he's in the character of Elvis, the, oh, the commentary. Shit. And that, that commentary <laughs> is amazing. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I haven't listened to that in years, though, first commentary. 
What's that? Terry might watch her first commentary. <laughs> True. I don't really watch commentaries often. <laughs> between between that That's one awesome. and the commentary track on This is Spinal Tap, where they're in character on that one, are like the two uh. greatest like jokey commentary tracks of all time. There's I also one movie. on the old Ghostbusters DVD, and presumably got ported over to the Blu-ray of the. Uh, it's like a Mystery Science Theater style one where you can see their silhouettes. Oh yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. But yeah, Bubba Hotep. Yeah, I love this movie. This is like, I mean, I've always been a Don Cassarelli fan because I love the Phantasm movies that much. Um, but I really feel like after after he did this movie, it really solidified my love for for Don Casarelli and in particular the projects that he would choose to do cuz it's always it it's stuff that's always outside the norm and i think he like purposely tries to go um outside normal storytelling to tell the stories that he wants to Bubba Hotep is a great example of that you know i mean one of my favorite things about Bubba Hotep is explaining the movie to normies. Yeah, you know? that's the best part. <laughs> so, <laughs> Elvis, he didn't really die. He's in this retirement home. People are getting killed off in this retirement home by an Aztec mummy. And so Elvis teams up with, with Ozzie Davis, who thinks he's JFK, um, <laughs> to fight this mummy. It's he's an Egyptian mummy. He's not an Aztec mummy. You've was got, he was he Egyptian? He's yeah. Egyptian, yeah. Oh, because there's, there's all they, the Egyptian hieroglyphics. Anubis and yeah. Oh yeah, yeah that's true. And that's, that's right because like because he fell off of a truck or something, right? From a from a from a traveling circus or something. Yeah, wait, which is absolutely I forgot a about that. To that. Which is a reference to the uh, Hammer Mummy, where Christopher Lee plays the mummy, because that's what how the mummy gets loose in that one. They're transporting his coffin uh, by horse and carriage and it falls off the back into a swamp and breaks open and the mummy gets loose. Totally. <laughs> not, totally. not a fan of Hammer movies, are we? Or what? No, I like Just, I like Hammer movies. Oh. Yeah. I haven't seen all of them, but I don't oh, know the, if I've the, ever the seen them. The Hammer movie. Mummy is awesome. Yeah. Definitely check that one out. Um, anybody ever read the original short story? Okay. I have not. I, I have a collection that's got it in it because I love Joe Lansdale's writing. That dude is he's he's one of a kind. <laughs> <laughs> but I I have, and, and I'm not saying that in like a wow it's silly. Like he's really really good. Like he's Joe Lansdale's like the Mark Twain of horror. He's got that real like kind of laid back Southern dude delivery, but it's really funny, really well written. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I just happen to not have read this story of his, but I love his other stuff. Yeah, well, and, just, and based off of this and some of the other adaptations of his stuff that I've seen, like I would, he seems like a writer that I would enjoy. I've just never had the the privilege of got, getting to uh, track down his stuff and read it. Um, but uh, and according to Don Castorelli on that commentary track that. Like majority of the movie is 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 from the short story. Like Don Casarelli didn't take a lot of liberties with it, other than the scarab was not in the short story apparently. So, and then that definitely seems like a uh, Don Casarelli thing. Little insect creatures and stuff. 
Yeah. So, kind of, rem- you know, that you know that scene with the old lady and the scarab always remind reminds me of the the scene in Phantasm where they have the tall man's finger in the box, and when they open it up, it's this bug that's flying around the kitchen. Yeah, I love the scarab scenes. Like those are probably my favorite scenes in the movie. Yeah, Bruce is the man. He is the man. He, he, is. he does such a good job in this movie. Hell yeah. Like, this is, I feel, the movie where he proved he could act. Yes. Because yeah. everybody, like, Bruce Campbell is is a cult of personality. He's The dude is a fucking charisma volcano. And he's awesome in everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. But everybody loves him because they want to see him be a ham. Ash. They yeah. want to see him be Bruce Campbell, the, the comedic actor. Yeah. But this movie has I mean, of course there's a lot of funny parts to it, but it has a lot of quiet moments too, like where he's lying in bed reflecting on his mortality and his body failing him and stuff. And the the end in particular is yes. very touching. Yeah. And kind of tear up a little you know, Yeah, you do. And it shows that he isn't just that hammy guy who can beat himself up and and be funny you know that everyone's like you think bruce campbell and you think the scene in the kitchen in evil dead 2 where his hand is possessed (laughs) and he's fighting himself like that that is the kind of platonic ideal of a bruce campbell scene i guess but yeah in this movie you get to see him stretch his talent a little bit and show like look i can do more than the thing that you all just want me to do all the time. I can give a performance with nuance, with character, with emotion and make you feel something other than laughter. Yeah, and it's it's like you said, this this movie is funny but I think the comedy only works in this movie when everybody takes the subject matter seriously and it's got to be played straight for the com for for the, a movie like this to really work, you know, it's kind of it like the yeah. it's kind of like the problem I have with um, um, that my name is Bruce that that one he did where he's basically playing himself and it gets mm-hmm. really over the top and slapsticky and breaking fourth wall and all that shit and it's just like you know this would be a lot funnier and a lot more entertaining is if they everybody played it straight and the situation caused the comedy. Yeah. And while we're talking about playing it straight and situation causing the comedy, can we give some huge props to Ozzie Davis? Oh, hell yeah. Oh, my God. For JFK and his the delivery of his line talking about how he really is JFK, but they spray-painted him black. <laughs> oh, my fucking God. That is the funniest thing in this entire movie. <laughs> and, and I don't care who you are. How do you get? How do you read that in a script and know you have to say those lines and not, <laughs> and still and still say it straight faced? You know what I'm saying? Like he's he's playing it like he truly believes what he's saying, and that's and that's awesome. When well, Austin and Davis this, is just awesome anyway. He is, and you need an actor of his caliber because he's a legitimately revered, like proper dramatic actor. And if you just had like a, I don't know, like a Kevin Hart type of like comedy actor yeah. playing this part, it wouldn't be funny. But because you have this guy who can give it that gravitas, 
like at the same time you're laughing your ass off, you're also kind of thinking, maybe he's serious. Like maybe that really, t- you know, I mean, obviously that didn't really happen, but you you buy it a little bit because he sells well, yeah. it. Yeah, you kind of like, you kind of have to stop and think for a second. Maybe he is JFK. <laughs> yeah, because in a movie this cracked, yep, anything goes, you know. Yep. and it's kind of like uh, okay, the movie Blackula. Just based on that title, you assume it's going to be a silly pile of crap, right? But William Marshall, the guy who plays Blackula, is a classically trained Shakespearean actor, and he's fucking brilliant yeah he's really and, good and it's yeah. kind of the same thing where you take something that could be very very silly and stupid in lesser hands and make it great was this ozzy davis's last movie no i'm just, i think he did other stuff after this but it had to have been okay. close because i know he died i don't think he even got well maybe it was his last movie because did he even get to see this released i don't know can you pull that up jason I mean, what a way to go. <laughs> what a swan song of a performance, you know? <clears throat> oh, no. He, uh... Badass. Oh, he was, yeah, he was in Badass, wasn't he? Yeah. He did quite a bit. Um, Spilbo Hotep was 2002. Did quite a bit of television. He was in the movie Badass. Um... Yeah, so, because I guess, when did he die? Must have been around 2004, 2005. What? 2005. 2005, okay. Cool, cool, cool. So, it was, was he Elvis? I, I, I... In my mind, I and that's what's great about Isn't the movie it? too is that it doesn't totally answer it does? all these questions. Or is he just a crazy guy? You know, because that and home. that can leave up for interpretation of your own. And I like when movies can do that. And my interpretation is that yeah, he's Elvis. He's actually he's Elvis. Elvis. Yeah, absolutely. Sebastian Half is a real thing. And goddamn it, when are we going to get to see Bubba Nosferatu? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> When you were on, when uh, Jason was on um, the writer's IMDb page, it still has it for, as uh, in production. But that's well, been I on know, IMDb like, for like decades now. Paul Giamatti was pushing like hell for it, and he has his own production company, and that is largely what got John Dies at the end off the ground. Yeah, granted, yeah. that was five years ago now, but it's still possible that they could get it done because it's not like Campbell and Coscarelli and Giamatti are on their way out of the business anytime soon. None of them are that old. No. So. And I don't know what, what Cassarelli's plans are. With the thing that, the thing about his, his filmmaking career, he doesn't have a huge body of work and it spans decades. So I have a feeling like he's really, really selective about the projects that he does, I would assume. Um, and then, you know, and then hell, he didn't even direct the last Phantasm. Ravenger, he just produced it, but uh, but I always was under. I was heard that it was Bruce Campbell was kind of the one that um, was holding back from the sequel. So I don't know. That's, I don't know if that's, that's true surprising. Or not. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, it, it, it was always said for years, too, that Bruce Campbell was the the reason why we weren't getting a fourth Evil Dead movie. You know, and just I, you know, just waiting for the right thing for to bring that character back because he felt so strong about the character, and it may be the same thing with this one too. They, you know, if he is the uh, one holding it back, that it's got to be just right for it to work again. But you'd think with Coscarelli working on it, it would be everything that this one was. Yeah, I know, I know, right? But I mean, I I have faith in Bruce Campbell. If 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 this is all what I'm saying is true. Right, because if that is true, then he was waiting for something as good as Ash vs. Evil Dead to bring that character back, and he was absolutely right. Exactly. Because everything I heard for years about, okay, we're finally going to do Evil Dead 4 just to get you guys to shut up, was like, I don't want that. I don't (laughs) want Evil Dead 4 made out of spite. (laughs) And then suddenly it was, okay, we're just going to produce it, and it's going to be a TV show with tons of new talent who love this material. Okay, sold. (laughs) And then it was awesome. And it's working wonderfully. Hell yeah! New season coming soon, Terry. When is it? Uh, sure. October. Okay. <laughs> oh, is it October? I don't... Yeah, usually it's in the fall, so I haven't seen a new premiere date or anything. But there's supposed to be another season. The better be. It got renewed. Can't I'm leave sure it the way they renewed. left it. I think it got renewed for at least one more season, if not two. I can't remember. Nice. I want to see them shake it up and not do October this year and kick it off with a Christmas special. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. Evil Dead in the Snow? Come on. <laughs> oh, man. Anything Must else? See. What's that? Must see. Must see. There's a few Don Casarella. Don Casarelli regulars in Bubba Hotep. Um, Reggie plays the guy who runs the uh, retirement home. Um, one of my favorite underrated character actors. Um, he's obviously one of my favorites because I can't remember his fucking name now. God damn it. Um, oh, he plays one of the ambulance drivers. Or one of the hearse drivers. Corner guys, whatever. Hell, uh, Daniel Schwager? No, Daniel, Daniel Robach. God dang it! Yes, yeah, he really, he's really one of your favorites. I've loved him <laughs> since the first time I ever saw *River's Edge*. He's fucking awesome in that movie, and he obviously has, you know, he's he's done a lot of work, but he obviously has a love for genre as well. He really does. Yeah, he does lots of comedy and dramatic stuff, but he is a dyed-in-the-wool monster kid. Um, I don't know if you ever listened to the Monster Party podcast, and if you don't, you should, because I think you'd love it, but he's on there a bunch, and he's friends with those guys, and yeah, he just loves geeking out about old school monster stuff, so yeah. What's it called again? Monster Party. Right down. So so when when he shows up in movies like this, it's because he actively goes out and, like, wants to be in these kinds of things. Like, the other stuff... He does because that's you know he's an actor and that's what he does. But this yeah. is really where his heart is. So yeah, you and you know be, you're saying he's one of your favorite character actors and you're drawn to him because he's in a lot of this kind of stuff. And that's you know it's it's the love of this material that yeah makes him so good in these roles. Exactly. I wish his roles were bigger in some of this stuff. You know, um, but uh, anytime anytime he shows up in a in a genre picture, I'm like, yeah. Love it. 
He's in also. He's also in John Dies at the End. Um, yeah. He's in Ravenger. He's in like every Rob Zombie movie. I hear an N when you. I hear you. Use Ravager. That. I hear an N every time. <laughs> I don't you know say what you. I don't know what you're hearing. Okay. <clears throat> uh, yeah. So Jason. Yeah. What What other movies? Taking of Deborah Logan. Okay. It was. It was sad. <laughs> it was like I didn't know it was about all. Uh, that thing I can't remember Alzheimer's. what it is. That was a joke. Alzheimer's. Uh, I did yeah, you got it. Uh, uh, see, I'm trying to take something sad to make it happy. Uh, I had no idea it was about that. And I may so, have Alzheimer's, but at least I don't have Alzheimer's. <laughs> oh, damn it, he's good. Go on the road. I stole that from a T-shirt. Don't give me credit for that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Oh, we're gonna start announcing all the jokes we steal. <laughs> we're gonna be here a while, guys. <laughs> we go back to the beginning of this episode. Um, yeah, it it's good because it does see, and I had seen it once before. Yeah, and you didn't seem to. Well, you, yeah, yeah. I didn't really care. F- well, here's the thing: when I say I didn't care for it. I'm saying I didn't care for it now because I easily got it confused with like 30 other movies that came out around this time that were all about the same thing. A possession movie shot found footage style. And I'm sorry, I, I, I'm not trying to be on a soapbox bitching about you know following genre trends or whatever, but like I could not tell you the difference between the without having to rewatch any of them the difference between last exorcism or this movie or the visit i watched right after this one i'm like it's found footage it's the same exact style of sh- shooting yeah i'm, I'm, so I'm, I'm like, narrowing the gap just a little bit more though when i say the ones where people possession movies though, but i that are shot found but footage to me style. maybe because i was do. dozing off but like that possession stuff was like way later so to me it was like most of the movie was about this old lady having trouble. Yeah. You know, like, to me, it, it I would, I wouldn't even, I mean, it's hard to call it a possession movie just because it was, like, it's in my memory, even though it was yesterday, uh, <laughs> it seemed like it was so late in the movie that it wasn't even necessarily what the movie was about, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah, but, but you can't is. tell me you went into this movie not knowing it was going to be a possession. I had no idea it was going to be a possession movie. What did you think? I had no idea. I'm just i I don't look up things, and I didn't know. So oh, I whatever, knew it was. But like I can remember no. when this movie came out and the ads for it, and it was no, being I d- sold. Oh, as a possession I would movie. assume it'd be a ghost or a ghosty movie. Yeah. Because all movies that I don't want to see, I tell myself they're about ghosts, and then I'm like, well, I don't want to see that anyway. So, because I don't care about ghost movies normally. So, yeah, in my head it was... And I'm going to agree with both of you simultaneously. (laughs) (laughs) Mike, Mike, you are not wrong for getting on that soapbox, because most found footage movies are lazy and stupid. And this one does fall into some of those traps. 
It's a storytelling yeah. technique. It's new and fun. Let people try but, it. Yeah, yes, they should try it, but if they're going to do it, they need to follow the rules. Okay. And the trap this movie falls into is there are moments where there are shots that could not have been captured by a camera. Uh-huh. Like when... Uh, do it, do it. Uh, old what's-his-guy name trying to smother her with a pillow in the hospital. Yeah, yeah. The, the caretaker who shoots up the van. Uh-huh. Harry. There are, there are a couple of shots in that sequence that are not captured by any of the security cameras in the hospital room. Yeah, that that you're right cuz there's like there a, are a couple of shots where it looks like it's shot by someone sitting in the chair next to the bed. Yeah, when they clearly establish where those cameras are being placed. Yes, and that annoyed the shit out of me. And that's what pisses me off about found footage movies. I it, but, it pisses me off about these kinds of movies because I want to like them because that uh, that style of storytelling, when it's done right, really draws me in. But are you I really actually, sitting there, like, just like, oh, that one, that one wasn't on a camera? Yes, because oh. it sta- it sticks out like a sore thumb, oh. especially when they point out in great detail, here's where the cameras are, yeah. and then you see a shot from where a camera isn't, and that knocks me out of the movie like a baseball bat upside the head. That's why I love Europa Report so much, because it doesn't, like, it plays completely fair with that style. I can agree with Brian in in this particular situation, because, again, they establish where the cameras are, so, you know, you talk about, and, and don't get me wrong, I could probably name a dozen or so found footage movies that I love that have come out over the past 10-15 years. I'm not anti-found footage movie guy. I'm not sure. I'm not. Because all the words in this couple sentences ago really made it sound like you're starting shit. Um, (laughs) With this particular situation though, it's, it's, it's part of the story because they're showing you where those cameras are and so it's a cheat in the story to have that shot from another camera. Now, I'm not saying, like, if I watch, like, say, The Visit is a great example. There's a couple shots in there that's like, well, this isn't obviously part of the uh, documentary. But I don't care. It doesn't take me out of the picture because it's just, it's a still, I'm still into the story. But when you cheat the story because of, the situation where it's the you know the cameras are strategically placed you're being shown where they're placed <clears throat> and then the and then the camera's not there for that particular shot that's where that's where it is a problem if they yes. don't always follow the logic rules of i don't give a shit i i hate the argument of like well why would they still be filming it who gives a fuck man we you know the you know why they're still filming it so we can have a movie to watch you know <laughs> right cuz it's shit? a movie and it's not real life exactly <clears throat> but when they present the movie as though it were real life because that's what a found footage movie is you you have to pay attention to the details because it's real easy to knock your viewers out of the experience. Like Mike was saying, I'm actually not anti-found footage. When this style works, I love it. It sucks me into a story like almost nothing else can. Yeah. And I feel like I'm right there. Like I'm on, you know, to use a hoary old cliche, on the edge of my seat. But you get those little moments and it knocks you right out. So it's it's 
it's extremely effective, but it's also far more fragile a technique than any other storytelling technique in film. And I love you have it. To be very careful with it. See, what I love it the most is when like a filmmaker is really using it um, to tell the story in a, in, a, in a different fashion. Like the Bay is a great example of that. You know that is that is a movie that's compiled from all kinds of like different cameras, news footage, blah blah blah, whatever. Um, and so, you know, and they they still try to present it as if somebody had put this real footage together, blah blah blah. And you know, I don't give a shit about that, but I, I find, you know, the unique way of telling the story through different visual media um, to be far more compelling. And I don't give a crap about like trying to sell me. Um, the fact that this was like a real event or anything. I know it's a movie. I want to watch it and I would just, you know, and I can, and I can suspend my disbelief enough to where I can really get into it. And, and that's why this technique is so widely used because you shoot something documentary style, you can, you can suspend a lot more disbelief and really get into the scariness of the situation. The other thing that put me off from watching it is it's another possession movie, and I don't really care about those either. But, like Jason said, it doesn't really get to being a proper possession movie until far later on. And then when it does, it's a much more interesting... Like, it's not just, mm-hmm. oh, there's a demon, or oh, it's the devil. Like, it's this the spirit of this black magician trying to come back. And there's all these weird connections with snakes... And yeah, I was really not expecting this to go full-on monster movie at the end. Oh, dude. Where Deborah oh. turns into a snake lady and tries to, like, unhinges her jaw and tries <laughs> yeah. to swallow a little girl's head. It's all that for that. Like, oh, holy shit, that was awesome. <laughs> I was all for that right there. Yeah, that is fucking, that was fucking awesome. And what a great reveal. And again, like, to defend found footage, that that's one of the best ways to reveal it in that in that, that format that, that is that's the that type of reveal that you can only do in a found footage movie exactly oh man there's snake clues throughout the movie there's there's tons of you know just little snake pictures on the wall in the background you know little oh yeah oh yeah like throughout missed, the whole I think movie I some of that stuff oh, God, i caught that early but oh that's cool yeah tons of that laid in there just background decoration tons of it and this jill larson kicked ass who's that is that the one is that the main lady deborah yeah she was awesome and kudos to her you know she obviously had to do things in this film as a uh a woman later in her years uh kind of have to really put herself out there sitting there naked at the switchboard for example Yeah, I I liked its uh, very educational through the first half, you know. About Alzheimer's? Yeah, Yeah. like that was just great, because it was. It was just nice to have that in there. Hit a little home, my grandma was a switchboard operator in our little town. Oh, really? Yeah. She'd always tell me stories about that. Cool. Yeah. 
that was neat. But when, when Andy needed to call home to Aunt B to tell her to fix an extra plate of fried chicken because he was bringing a guest for dinner. She always told me that story. <laughs> yeah. Good times. You were just watching TV land. <laughs> <clears throat> Terry, did you see this one? I saw this... Um, I didn't get a chance to revisit it, but I did watch it, I think, for a year-end episode a few years back, yeah, and I really enjoyed it. it. Yeah. I, think it, I can't even remember. I think it might have been on my top ten, or at least might've an honorable been. mention. Yeah. yeah. I really I really enjoyed it, and now listening to you guys talk about it, I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot about the whole snake thing. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'd completely forgotten that whole aspect of it, and now I really want to rewatch it because I remember enjoying it so much. So. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. I'm glad you knocked my expectations down because I was a little, <laughs> you know, I was actually got into it. And, yeah, well, I, and it I, turned out being a little better than I thought it was going to be. And so. I'll eat crow. I'll admit I was wrong. Um I mean, I understand why you thought it was. I mean, yeah. it makes... I think it just kind of blended together with several other films of that ilk that I watched around that same time. So, But watching it with these eyes, you know, for the geriatricness and, <laughs> and the new stuff, it's... Which one's the found footage possession movie where the movie ends with the car accident and then it cuts to a shot to, that says, to, to see what really happens at the end, go to this website fucking movie is that? Is that Devil's Due? Anybody? Nope. I don't know, but from what you just said, it's a movie I'm never gonna watch. That's it's, right. It sounds fucking stupid. It's very yeah. stupid, oh and it's fucking gosh. bad. Yeah. Devil's right up there with uh, The Gallows is another found footage uh, movie that I hate. Yeah. Yeah, it was dumb. More like The Devil's Don't, am I right? I can't see. I'm just... Jason pulled it up on IMDb, Devil's Due, and I honestly, looking even at the poster, I could not tell you if that's the same one or not. There was just so many of them that came out around the same time. Meh. Anyway, anywho's. Well, you know, speaking of found footage, I kind of already brought it up once, but uh, The Visit, I had a chance to revisit. Yeah, me too. That movie. Still love it. (laughs) Still, love it, love it, love it. You know why? Yeah, I thought it M. was Knight. a lot of fun. What'd you say, Jason? M Night. That's why it's good. <laughs> the best scene by far is the um, hide and seek scene under the house. <laughs> oh yeah, that creeped me out when I watched it, and I jumped so many times. <laughs> it was very successful on the jump factor for sure. <laughs> Totally, totally. Brian, did you see this one? Nope, I have not watched one of his movies since Signs came out. Knock it off. Me off Knock so it off. I refuse to watch anything he makes. <laughs> What's well, good? Check it out. Um, you know what else is good? All of his other movies, too. So, um, <laughs> oh, really? The Avatar? The Last Airbender? I his still, remake yeah, of that no. amazing cartoon? That's good? Really, I, I don't think so. I still no, haven't seen that bad. one, so I can't say. I, like I love the cartoon, and I refuse to watch the movie. <laughs> anyway, so the visit, um, uh, yeah, it's also found footage, and it's you know the 
the girl of the movie is making a documentary about her family because um, when her mom fell in love with this guy, uh, she had a fallout with her parents and they hadn't spoken since. So this is the first time the children have ever met the grandparents because the mom's going on this cruise with her new boyfriend and so she's shipping them off via train to go stay with the grandparents of the week so they can get to know their grandparents and the little girl's motive of making this documentary is try to make amends between the mother and the grandparents so um and so yeah but things uh starts getting weird right off the bat so like how many times is she gonna ask the girl to clean the oven before oh man i love that first delivery i know uh, it's in the trailer but yeah I love it. Well, in hey, the second, honey, why don't you climb back in here? And climb yeah. Up. So, and you know, like, okay, what's going on, right? So when it happens again, after the reveal of what's really going on, and then and then the grandmother shuts that door. Uh-huh. They're like, oh, fuck! Oh, fuck! But, it, but it's, like, such a false, like, thing, because she just immediately opens it back up. Like, what is going on? This is crazy. What's also, and then, like, really soon after that scene is one of my other favorite scenes, which is just a subtle little one-line thing, which was sadly in the trailer, too, but if you just watch it in the movie context flow, he's like, I was just cleaning it. Oh, yeah. Holy fuck. Like, it's funny, but it's as serious as it gets, and, like, holy Mm -hmm. hell. See, and the movie does write, does write a really interesting line between between comedy and sure horror, yeah. Yeah. you know. And like I had forgotten because we saw it in the theater when it first came out. Yeah. And I don't know if I was put off by people laughing just because I'm with you. I'm such an such an M Night defendist. Uh huh. Um, but uh, so I don't know if I was put off by the audience's laughter. But there was moments watching this again. After seeing it once before, and watching it by myself, there was a couple moments where I chuckled out loud. I laughed out yeah. loud. So, it does have its funny moments, but I think it's intentional. I don't think there's there's anything in here that could be perceived as funny that is not intentionally supposed to be funny. But what's interesting, he's, he does, like, I've always been, obviously, I have a love for a mixture of comedy and horror. It's obviously within my own filmmaking work, right? Um, and I've always been fascinated with the study of blending those two genres together because I feel like they come off as polar opposites, but in my opinion, the two are the two are the most married genres out of all of them. When it's microwave the- massacre. <laughs> okay, <laughs> perfect example. Um, is it? Is that the perfect example? Oh when gosh. it's done properly, it's genius because, like, I can explain. The definition of horror and comedy and it's the same thing. You have a setup and then a punchline for a reveal. That's 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 uh, describing both genres to a T. So, but what I find interesting, but what M Night did, he's, he's he got moments that like a lot of times with with the mixture of comedy and horror, you have a joke to kind of relieve some tension, and then you have a tense moment, and then you could have like another joke to relieve the tension after that. He has a couple moments in this movie where the joke and the tension happens at the same fucking time. Yeah. 
And I think it works. I think it's it neat. works wonderfully. Yeah, you Both know of those lines are. So I think a lot of the comedy from the movie, in particular, comes from the boy. Yep, he's really funny in this movie. You know, he's got this whole thing where he's decided that he's going instead of cursing. Oh my he's god! Every s- fucking time he's going to say po- uh, female pop star names in place of curse words. So there's some there's a couple moments where like. It's kind of a tense scene. This is kind of creepy, and something will get him. You know, jolt Shania him. Twain, and <laughs> he'll shout out just, Shania Twain. Or because so he, it was really funny when Steve Carell did it once in Forty Year Old Virgin. So let's do it fifty times in this movie. Okay. <laughs> I don't remember that Forty Year Old Virgin. Well, whatever. But my favorite moment of the mix between the two was um, uh, in the third act there when. You know, shit's really hitting the fan. No pun intended. Um, uh-huh. Where the the girl runs off, and it's while they're playing board games, or they're playing Yahtzee, <clears throat> and then the grandfather wanders off, and it's just the boy, the camera, and the and the grandmother sitting there playing Yahtzee, and the grandmother is just like staring off in the space. She's just like, okay, obviously she's off the deep end at this point. And she's she's got that plate of sugar cookies that she's just mound down, and there's cookie dust flying everywhere. She's mound down these cookies, and then she just violently picks up the Yahtzee cup, shakes the dice, throws them down, turns right into the camera, and scares the shit out of you. And she's like Yahtzee, and then the little boy. So you're like, oh fuck! But at the same time, the little boy's like Becca, and that del- that one- delivery line of saying his sister's name, I thought was hilarious. So I like jumped and laughed at the same time. I mean, who does that? So. Very cool. Very good movie. I don't care. What anybody and then obviously that. we loved it because the girl is a, a filmmaker. So it's, yeah. there's a lot of, not just lingo, but very aspiring filmmaker talk yeah. in the movie. A little on the pretentious side. Maybe, but like. like trying, to be, trying to be a smarter filmmaker than... Then sure, she should, but then she but be. what I wanted to say was like, I loved that they made her smart. Yeah. Because, not to defend kids, because, well, kids are cool, but like in movies, they're not always smart, and like they made this girl fucking smart. Well, I th- I'd her, have to say both of them. Really, yes, though. both of them. But just just listening to the way she talks about making movies. Yeah, and the films, the study of film, and I fucking loved it. Can I ask you a question? Um, uh, Appreciate it. How do you feel about their little subplots and the resolution of those subplots? Their little character traits, like how she can't look at herself in the mirror, and and he freezes at that. He froze at that football game, which is the last time he saw his dad. I don't know. I mean. I thought it was just classic M Night. It's classic M Night, but this time it felt a little forced. Oh, I don't. Well, where does it happen? Where does she fix herself when she's getting her face smashed into the mirror? Oh, right, 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 right. Well, no, I. I mean, it's just. It's like you said. It's classic M Night, and I love that stuff. I don't know. Just watching it this this. The second time, I don't know. Maybe I need to watch it a third time now. Well, but, I just, uh, I just mean, how else do you resolve those? I'm not saying the resolutions points. were forced. I don't know. I just felt like, 
felt like they didn't need to be there for once. Well, they were both, and they're they were both like, the climax of the ends of the grandparents. You know, like those are the two big. Uh, like maybe for him, but even still, like first of all, his whole thing with freezing at that football game. That story doesn't come until like two thirds way into the movie. So it feels like a little late from in my book to plant this seed that's going to reveal in the third act. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Uh, and then, and then to him, just kind of for him to go off the rocker in that moment and just start spouting stuff about football, screaming stuff about football as he's smashing the guy's head in the refrigerator door. Um, I mean, I felt a little over the top to me, but I don't know. I loved I, it. It's like a you know just the bottled up cork corked up bottle that's the one okay you know like i just kind of want to argue it a little bit because like it didn't sit as well with me the second mm -hmm. time as it did the first time i mean both of their healing moments where what are what saved them both from each of the grandparents like it I don't know. Yeah, I agree. On paper, it, and that stuff and that stuff is great, you? but it's just like there are moments that are only really brought up once as if Right. And if you bring it up more than once and everyone's going to be like, "Well, they beat us over the fucking head with it." So what the fuck are you going to do? <laughs> no, I disagree so just, with you there cuz this cuz it's like unbreakable. <laughs> the whole like drowning thing, it's it's not forced down your throat, but you you know it's a it's a trait of his throughout the whole movie it's not something that's saved for halfway through and mentioned once i don't know i don't know nitpicky yeah I don't know. just because i can okay <laughs> doesn't make me love the movie any less why i still don't own this one is i'll never understand the old folks did a fucking awesome job in this movie too they were great they were awesome i love that dude yeah the grandpa yeah and she was out of her mind. <laughs> totally. She was, but great when she needed to be. I, and I don't know what it was, but like, I mean, I really sympathized for the grandfather in the movie. Until obviously you know what really's going on. But right. like, you know, kind of, you kind of feel that the grandmother's off her rocker most of the time through most of the movie. But the grandfather has his moments of like, since sincere normalcy. Right. He's like, we're old people. This yeah. is what you guess. This is yeah. how we are. And just really being he lays it out. Yeah, you're really being apologetic, but yet you really feel he's got a love for these kids, which is you know uh -huh. a facade. But but like I mean I don't know. I just really I really love those moments when Grandpa was normal because like uh -huh. I really wanted to like Grandpa, you know. <clears throat> yeah, and the sundowning's a real thing. Yeah, I didn't know, you know, another educational film about sh bad shit that happens to people. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't even think about it being real until I watched it this time, and was like, oh shit, no, it's real. And then when Bruce Willis shows up at the end, oh wait, no. But I mean, what if it was all just one universe? <sighs> like he's in one of the police cars that shows up. Oh yeah. Because Grandpa, he never... Well, they can't... They're not set up for any kind of super <laughs> villain. Silly goose. You were giving us some thought there for a second. Like, no, let's tie this shit together. This is awesome. More. <sighs> Did you like it, Terry? 
Yeah. It was good. (laughs) But like I said, uh, I mean, it it was enjoyable overall, but for sure the most memorable scene for me is the the hide-and-seek. Fuck yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, I really, I really enjoyed it. For sure. Cool. The other thing about um, M. Night for me is how he always makes me feel like there's something more of a supernatural presence going on in his movies. Even when it's something as simple as this, where it's just two crazy old people. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. like, um... The Village, right. you know? That one, like, through most of the movie, you're thinking, like, this is something that's going to be so supernatural. Some monster yeah. in the woods. Couldn't be more realistic. There's, right. There's something... And exactly, and it's just all... And a lot of his movies are like that, where it's like... So just something about Grandma was a little too weird? Yeah, when she has that speech... Well, one, like, that scene under the porch, for for one, it she almost felt like little... this could turn into, like, a ghost movie or a possession movie. Yeah. Like there was something a little more supernatural about her, and and there's also that moment too when she when um, the camera they hide the camera on the fireplace at night, and the grandma finds it and she screams into the camera and it's not a normal human scream. They modified that scream. I mean, it was scary as hell. It was scary, but so yeah, that I was jumped the that fuck was out moment. of the chair when that happened. I yeah. knew it was that coming. Yeah, I fucking that was a, that was a monster growl. That wasn't a human scream. Oh, it was a microphone distortion. She was too close. This proximity thing. Oh, I don't care. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was still awesome. I'm just, I'm just backing up my argument of like a supernatural a feel little, that M Night uh-huh. puts into his movies, even the ones that are that are completely based in reality. But uh, and then the and then the other part is like, like there was a moment there. I'm like, they're going for an alien shit again in this one. Like when she's having that that interview and she's talking about the aliens in the water. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, when he starts losing it, and when he does lose it, it's he's preaching this crazy, crazy shit. Yeah. That's true. Yep. It's a good story. <laughs> good time. I mean, it's a simple story, but it's a good one. It's a simple, you know? it's a simple story, um... And again, it has a, it's not a twist, it's a reveal at the end. Yeah, and don't say it, because Brian will watch it soon, and I don't want him to be spoiled. Oh, no, I won't. Brian! <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> oh, man, what, what do we got left for movies, man? The, the Sentinel. Sentinel! Yeah, let's do it! That one. <laughs> Jeez. So the reason why I put this on the list is I thought it was called The Senile, but... Oh, <laughs> that's probably true, though, isn't it? <laughs> And you thought it was about you, so... Yeah, it's true. Oh, it's my life story. Awesome. <laughs> and it still kind of is. So, Brian. Yeah, I mean, oh, oh, sorry. No, no go ahead, I Terry. Don't have, I, I didn't have notes. Oh, okay. Well, I just... I guess I just thought this was a little bit of a stretch to be considered geriatric. I don't know. I mean... I agree with you, but, like, every time I tried... Anything I did research for a list of movies that... Horror was, movies yeah. that dealt with old people. It was like always like one of the top two. Yeah, because I mean the 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 old priest John Carradine and yeah 
like the <laughs> ultimate cinematic old guy. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, you got Burgess Meredith too. Burgess Meredith as a motherfucker. <laughs> what a cast this movie has! My it's incredible. God. I didn't even realize till I like was watching the opening credits. And I'm like, oh, I know that person. Oh, I know that person. Is that like Jeff Goldblum's first movie ever? Uh, if not, it's awfully close. Christopher Walken, too, I think. Yeah. Yep. Craziness. And uh, it's got to be close to um, Beverly Delant. Beverly. <laughs> Jesus Christ, D'Angelo. I can't say her name. Beverly D'Angelo. There you go. That's got to yeah. be one of her first roles, too. Yep. Yep. Yeah. As no dialogue masturbating girl. <laughs> yep. <laughs> So Terry, tell us the tell us what uh, the Sentinel's about. Okay. Um. So there's this this lady, this girl, woman, person, who <laughs> is. Um. She is currently. I guess is she engaged? Not engaged. No, not engaged. No. To, Actively uh, fighting engagement, in fact. Right. To Chris Sarandon, a very young Chris Sarandon. Um, and so she decides that she's going to search for her own place because she wants her own place and whatever, independence and things. And so she contacts this lady who had advertised this house. Who is Ava and- fucking Gardner. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thought she looked familiar. I should have looked that up. Um. So yeah, she moves into this old house, and she notices that there's like some creepy old priest like staring at her from the top floor, and you get creepy vibes. And then she moves in, and she meets all of these really eccentric neighbors, and then weird shit starts happening and then when she starts or no she thinks that she sees her dead father and she thinks that she murders him or something yeah (laughs) I (laughs) I don't know how to describe that she sees her father who is already dead and then she apparently stabs him and runs out into the street screaming and when she goes to tell people you know the things that have been happening and then they're like oh there's no one else that has lived in that building for years Ah!" (laughs) and yeah then they start it really turns into like this whole kind of has more of a religious angle than you may have thought but it's like not lame and like all of the other religious devil movies ever. Um, but yeah, so basically all of these neighbors, quote unquote, that she's been seeing are the ghosts or the spirits of ex-murderers and just really awful, nasty people. Um and it turns out they're guarding or they're trying to get into the gate um, which is in this place the gate to hell um, or heaven which one is it? the gate to, gate to it's heaven hell. They're, 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 oh. they're, they're, 
the uh, the old priest is guarding the gate to hell. Oh. And she's next in the line of succession. They're they're trying right. to convince her to kill herself so that she can't take his place, and the right. gate will be unguarded. Right. I guess I was thinking it was the gate to heaven because they wanted to get up there and fuck up some shit or something. But uh, yeah, either way, whatever. Um, now you've got me second guessing myself. Maybe it yeah. was. <laughs> but yeah, so the whole point is that they're trying to, and yeah, and because she had tried to commit suicide before, I guess that's why she was chosen, and whole bunch of stuff. It's very involved. What kind of fucking movie is this? Yeah, it's whacked. It's awesome. It's awesome. Okay. It's whacked. I really, I really enjoyed it. I do want to say about her attempt to suicide that I would slit my wrists too if I saw old man balls flapping in the wind while he was slapping yeah. me in the face. So <laughs> the first time I saw this movie, I only saw the first fifteen minutes or so of it because I was real young and I caught it on. TV and it got to that point and obviously they cut the the nudity out but the uh, how do I want to say it the uh, <laughs> intention of that scene remained very much intact oh yeah and it freaked me right the fuck out <laughs> not, not so much you know in a, in a way like a jump scare would or anything but oh why is that old man naked and he's chasing her ah <laughs> shut it off and then years later I went back and watched it like yeah that scene is still pretty fucking creepy but the movie is so good yeah so good and that, like there at the end when she's getting like chased around the, the building they use all these like quote unquote human oddities um, like oh, uh, yeah. all sorts of, of real life uh, freaks throughout which I when I'm watching I'm like oh we should do a freak episode. And then I looked and I'm like, oh, we already did do a freak episode. <laughs> Damn it. That was my first ever episode. Oh, the freaks one? Mm-hmm. Aww. Perfect. <laughs> Fitting. <laughs> and something went wrong and only recorded like half the episode. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. So maybe we can do a freaks part two episode. And talk about the Sentinel again. Uh, so, so what'd you think of the movie, Terry? I liked it. Cool. Like I just said. Okay. <laughs> you no, know, it was it was really good. Uh, definitely, I enjoyed the story a lot. It was something that I hadn't watched a movie. You know, I hadn't seen a plot similar to that before. Not that I recall, anyway. The whole Sentinel thing was interesting, and yeah, I I really really enjoyed it. It kind of starts out with the whole hip young couple in New York City trying to find an apartment. It yeah. very much calls to mind, oh, this is going to be a Rosemary's Baby knockoff. And then it goes right. in a way different direction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I like, too, how they didn't... Um, like, when it's revealed that they're, like, spirits and stuff, and, again, she's getting chased around by all these people in the end... How it's how there wasn't a lot of optical effects in it. They at all times these char- these uh, spirits felt like they were real people in the reality. 
they didn't feel the need to like make them you know transparent or any crazy shit like that right I think that is maybe partially to do with the fact that it's kind of implied through the whole thing that it's they could very possibly do her real physical harm. Like, they aren't just apparitions. They are really there Yeah. when she's experiencing them. But then they disappear in the room. The, the various apartment rooms go back to being, you know, shrouded in cobwebs and sheets and things. But And Burgess Meredith sells the shit out of it. I love him in this movie, too. Yeah, I do, too. Because Absolutely. he's like the goofy, doddering old guy with the pet bird and the cat, you know, uh, Sylvester and Tweety, essentially, <laughs> and then at the end, when when they when the demons fail in their mission, and he's commanding them all back down, down into hell with you, like just oh god, I love that. I mean, it's such a short little piece of dialogue and performance, but he's so good in it. Absolutely, absolutely. It's an often uh, overlooked film. Like, I actually had never seen it before until watching it for this episode, so... I mean, I've always known about it, but just one that I've never bothered to uh, check out, so... Um, definitely worth the, worth the watch, so... Any other films uh, we need to talk about? Hmm. Okay. Is that the list? Uh, I think so. I think that's our list. Uh, we didn't really talk about I'm not a serial killer, but we've oh, talked yeah. about that recently. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But I think that's about the only one we didn't get to. Wait, I just, I, ah, that's one thing I wanted to do. I just wanted to hear that, so I knew it was coming. <laughs> it's going to set you up, but I didn't even have to. Oh, man. I should let you though. So good. Great movie. Slow and good. Great movie. Okay, so let's take a break. When we come back, we'll have our segments here on Attack of Killer Podcast. Good evening. It's intermission time. Our service is friendly and quick. You'll find hot dogs, hamburgers, pizza, your favorite candies, hot and cold beverages, and other delicious snacks. So add to your fun of watching the movie. Visit our refreshment stand right now. We're glad to have you with us tonight. We hope you'll come to see us often. It's great to get out to the movies. Hey, horror fans, this is Mike, one of your troop leaders over at the Horror Scouts podcast. I, with my co-hosts Brian and Nick, want to invite you to check out our show. We post new episodes twice a month that include movie reviews and general discussions about horror. So whether we're handing out merit badges for things like writing, directing, and gore, or just talking around the campfire, we'd love for you to join us. Head over to horrorscouts.com for more info and subscribe to us on iTunes by searching Horror Scouts Podcast. You can also find us along with all the other awesome shows on the Phantom Podcast Network at downrightcreepy.com. And if you prefer social interaction over spending time with the bodies hidden in your shed, reach out to us on Instagram and Twitter with at horror underscore scouts. So grab your headphones and wrap a bloody bandana around your neck. It's time to sign up and be a horror scout. Badasses, Boobs, and Body Counts is a weekly podcast that discusses grindhouse and exploitation cinema. Your three hosts, Mike. It's a quick... (laughs) 
Thank you. Come again. Not racist at all. Mark, if you bend over and you have what is essentially a pubic cottontail coming out of the crack of your ass, you need to do some goddamn grooming. And listener favorite, Iris. I do not have sex with that horse. (laughs) Will make you question your own political correctness while laughing at theirs. Episodes drop every Sunday and can be found by searching BB and BC Podcasts via Lipson, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and iHeartRadio. You can also listen to episodes directly from the show's website at badassesboobsandbodycounts.com. Hey everybody, this is Wayne. This is Zip. Lori. Brian. Doug. And we're the Necronomicast, a weekly horror podcast brought to you by us, horror fans for you, horror fans. We talk about movies, books, celebrity interviews, your mom. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what you want me to say. (laughs) Necronomicast. We also talk about streaming movies, new movies, as well as news in horror. And that's just a sample of what you'll get on the Necronomicast. <laughs> Do we say horror movies? <laughs> visit us at Necronomicast.com. Also visit us on Facebook. And on iTunes and all that. Necronomicast. Uh, we'll scare the shit out of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> visit us at Necronomicast.com for more madness and horror and blood. We're good. And we're back. And it's time for segments here on Attack of the Killer Podcast, and we're going to start with everyone's favorites, the shout-outs. It's time for... Shout-outs! Hey, alright, and we just asked what your favorite movies were featuring the elderly. And had a whole bunch here on the Facebook. Okay, up first, Tim Lennerer says, Quatermass Conclusion is a fantastic send-off for the character and features an alien mind control signal that affects the young more than the old, so there's a team of senior citizen scientists working to defeat them. And Professor Quatermass himself is furiously angry at the world for the entire entire running time of the miniseries or movie, depending on which cut you see. That sounds awesome, and I found out too late to watch it for this episode that that is available in four hour long parts on YouTube. Jesus. So I intend to be watching that soon. Yeah, because like you said, it's a, it was originally a BBC miniseries. Gotcha. Uh, the only Quatermass movie I've seen is the very first one, the Quatermass Experiment. But I fucking love British science fiction, obviously. <laughs> so <laughs> that's one I'll be uh, checking out real soon. Cool. Cool. Up next, uh, Leo Redmond says, "No contest, Cockneys versus Zombies. Nobody Woo. else needs to comment. He <laughs> might he might be right." You might be right. Uh, Keisha Williams says, The Taking of Deborah Logan. That was heartbreaking and terrifying all in one shot. True that. Uh, Nightmare Junkhead. We love those folks over there on the Phantom Podcast Network. They say, Rosemary's Baby. Hail Satan. Yeah, all the Satan worshippers are a bunch of old people. Yeah. 
Aren't they always? <laughs> no? Okay. Um, we had Lisa Norwell Owen says Cockneys vs. Zombies is the best. Yeah. I know. Uh. Sean Frost says Ghost Story. I thought about putting that one on the list because it's one I've, I've. That's another one I've never seen before, and yeah, it's uh, it's a whole cast of oldies but goodies. Yeah, and I've read the novel, but I've never seen the movie. So yeah, but isn't like Fred I'd Astaire like in that too. one? I couldn't tell you. I haven't seen it. Okay. <laughs> she says Alice Craigie waits until her targets are old men before setting out to get revenge on them. Trevor Swaim. Remember, hey, remember nice. T-Dog? Yeah. We never called him that. No. Trevor! Trevor! <laughs> he says, Bubba Hotep. Yeah! Dang right. Uh, Linnea Walker Morse. Morse. <laughs> Morse. She Morse? is the one who allowed me to crash at her place when I went to visit Godzilla this week. Oh, she busts her chops in this comment. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. She tries. <laughs> she says, Brian's favorite is The Expendables. <laughs> the elderly. It's pretty fucking funny. But, jokes uh, on her. I love that movie. Of so. course. <laughs> so she says, crap, try number two. Brian's favorite is On Golden Pond. <laughs> and he I've re- never seen that, that movie, so okay. uh, again. <laughs> pretty funny. Cocoon? Alright. Steve N. Joseph says, The Visit. Woo! So good. Jason Cooter says Legion. What? Legion. Uh, Legion. I haven't seen it. No? Anybody? No? That's a newer... Is that the newer one that has uh, Paul Bettany in it? I'd assume. Well, that makes an ass out of you and me. And then he also says Drag Me to Hell. It's got that slobbery old... <laughs> okay. Uh, Willis Wheeler, he says, hey. Bubba Hotep, drag me to hell. Thinner, Mars Attacks. Yeah, yeah Thinner's a good one. Mars Attacks. Nice. It's got an old, that's got an old folks' home in it, too. Yeah, it's a horror oh, movie. Oh, yeah, Wait. it does. It's a great movie. No, it's not. Okay. My segment is not. Okay. <laughs> Uh, we have Brandy Ruland says, I'm really bad about movie names, but there was one with the uh, old guy whose son was killed, so he was keeping a pregnant girl in the basement to take her baby. Don't breathe? Yeah. That's I think that's one. it. That was good. Love that movie. That dude's awesome. Yes. Yeah, and is. old. And awesome. That's it, Brandy. Uh, Kevin Bilmes, 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 am I Mike tonight with these names? Uh, Kevin Bilmes says, Trash Fire, with Fionula Flanagan. He made up that name, right? Never heard of that. Trash Fire, with Fionula Flanagan. Nope. Anybody? Nope. I've heard of that, of Trash Fire, but I haven't seen it. I think it was a newer, it was pretty new. Well, Kevin, tell us about it. Put a link or something. Yeah. Sue Pitcher says, well, hell no. Okay. What? She must okay. be old. I think she's old. Uh. Yep, she's... Nope. She's a grandma. 
Yeah. Daniel Ruwan says dead silence. It's a good one. Creepy old ghost woman. Yeah. yeah. Steve Vessel says American Gothic. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's another one that I found out too late was available on YouTube. It's got Rod Steiger in it. Uh-huh. Man, that should have been on the list. It's a little home, too. Since... Yeah, Iowa. It's Iowa. Oh, I did, didn't I? Justin Beam commented. <laughs> he says, dead alive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's Mom. another good one. Yeah. 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 Carl Smith says, don't forget about the tall man from Phantasm. That guy is scary as shit. And then there's Kane from Poltergeist 2. And finally, the classic Norma from Psycho. The only good Poltergeist Norma. movie. Part 2? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Better than the first one? Better? Yes, I don't like the first Poltergeist at all. I think it's incredibly boring. The second one Whoa. plays like huh. a crazy Italian version of... You think you That's, know somebody. Yeah, that, yeah exactly. That's true. To, uh, and I... I like three for its sheer badness, but that and Nancy Allen. So. To be fair, I haven't seen three in forever, so I might like that one too. Yeah. Sarah Honeycutt says Cocoon. Not yeah. the scariest movie, but riddled with old folks. Jason <laughs> uh, Finn says Tales from the Crypt, Blind Justice. Hmm, okay. Kylie Nagel says, Drag me to hell. Psycho, taking of Deborah Logan. And comes back with The Visit. Thanks, Kylie. Uh, Kier Arts put up this poster for Night of Death. Yeah, I don't know Synapse. Oh. I don't know it. Tagline, you are what they eat. And it looks like old people in the background. Cool. And then, lastly on Facebook, Mike Paul Sanders says, Rabid Grannies! Yay! They're so rabid. And over on the Twitter, we had some other replies. Uh, Up first, we have Horror Junkies at Horror Junkies FL. This was the hardest question to answer, and I would say Dead Silence was a good movie with an old scary lady. Also enjoyed The Others. Mm, nice one. I posted this gift that's still scaring the crap out of me. <laughs> uh, up next, we have Alex Ingram at IB an artist. An artist. IB an artist. Says, The Others was great. Also, taking of Deborah Logan had an entertaining finale. Dude. <laughs> when she... Bites the when you come into that room and she's mowing down on that kid, it's fucked. It's just, yeah. it's, uh, it's awesome. You're like, what the fuck? I looked away for visual. a second and look what's happening. <laughs> That's worth it all right there because you're like, fuck. So cool, so fucking cool. And the visit was great, if only for that hide and seek scene, right? Alex and Terry. Reed. Probably good friends. <laughs> All right, up next, we got Don Anelli at Don underscore Anelli. Says, hard to top, dead silence. 
Although a special mention of the old woman in Baba's Drop of Water segment in Black Sabbath should be made. <gasps> yeah. Uh, yes. Nice. But and yes. All right. Yikes. Oh, mm-hmm. is that bad? It's creepy as shit. No, it's creepy. It's it's really good. Awesome. And then, oh boy, Tristan Comer says. Tristan Comer at Songs for Life 24 says, Movie House Massacre and Peter Walker's Frightmare are the first to come to mind. Frightmare showed up on some lists. I almost thought about putting that on there. Okay. On our list. And that's all we had on Twitter. And we don't have any phone calls just yet, but you can always call in at 415-952-6857 or... 41595-AOTKP. Leave us your comments and we'll read them on the show. And that's shout-outs. The little plastic balls tumbled around in their cage like gerbils in a cement mixer until the dour-looking nurse's aide who had drawn the short straw this Thursday night stopped cranking the handle, reached into the cage, and drew out one of the balls. E7, she said. E7. Florence Anderson marked the number on her sheet with the oversized highlighter she held in her unsteady hand. This afternoon, she knew, the shaking was more than just the Parkinson's that had crept into her body last year and begun to steal her ability to write letters to her grandchildren. Bingo, she said, her voice raspy and her throat dry. She didn't want to say it, but she knew they checked all the cards before they let the old folks leave the social hall and return to their rooms. The big orderly at the back of the room pushed away from the wall he'd been leaning against and came to loom over her. He examined her card, then looked up at the aide doing the number calling and nodded. All right, the aide said. Bingo is over. You can go back to your rooms now. Mrs. Anderson, we'll come and get you shortly so you can claim your prize. Florence returned to her room and paced about the floor in a worry. They'd been running these bingo games once a week for two months now. She didn't know if they thought everyone in the Saunders retirement and assisted living home was too senile to notice, but every week, the winner of the bingo game seemed to pass in their sleep or get moved out by their family in the middle of the night. That was the story they told, at least. She had begun to suspect something more sinister. Last week, Howie Fitzroy won bingo, and had moved to Florida the next day without anyone having seen him go. She doubted very much that bingo prize money was enough for a Disney snow globe, let alone a plane ticket. Her doubts turned to very dark thoughts indeed when she found a fingernail in her beef stew that Sunday night. She startled at the sound of the big orderly's voice in her doorway. Let's go get your prize, Mrs. Anderson, he said. She let out a shivery breath and nodded hoping that if she came along quietly at first, an opportunity to escape would present itself on the way. Quite where she would escape, too, was another matter, but one thing at a time. The orderly led her down several long hallways before they passed through a door he had to open with a key card, then down another hallway, and through big swinging double doors like you see in restaurant kitchens. Steam from a big pot carried a delicious aroma of broth and spices to her nostrils, and her stomach rumbled in spite of her fear. Standing behind the pot was Mike, the chef. He was sharpening a carving knife on a whetstone. Good evening, Mrs. Anderson, he said with a smile. The menu tonight is chef's choice, and you are insane's pick. (laughs) 
<laughs> awesome. Okay, so like I said on our last episode, I'm going to um, spend uh, the next few episodes discussing the movies from the Violent Shit Collection that I got on DVD recently, thanks to Jason. So this first one I'm going to be covering is Violent Shit from 1989, from the Violent Shit Collection from Synapse Films, written, directed, and stars Andreas... Scrinus? Scrinus? You can do it. Uh, Brian, can you help me on that one? Schnoss. Schnoss? Okay, there you go. <clears throat> now, this movie, like the whole franchise really, is shot on VHS. Uh, and I'm going to tell you, the movie is tough to watch. Whoa. Not, not for the gore, not for the violence. Um, that's really the only thing it's got going for it. Uh, the worst is, uh, for me, the worst part is the really, really shitty audio. Um, <clears throat> granted, uh, the movie is mostly just this repetitive score, which gets monotonous uh, throughout the movie. But when there is dialogue or actual audio from the movie, uh, it has this really bad reverbished echo through the whole thing. And it totally makes it unbearable to watch. As a filmmaker myself, one of the first rules I've learned, I learned as a filmmaker, is that audio is the most important part. So I cannot want, I cannot handle movies that's got really shitty bad audio. And granted, it's in German, and I've got subtitles on, but it barely even sounds like they're speaking words in any language. It's just this mumbly, echoey mess. So it just makes it really super hard to watch. Um, and it's not like other bad VHS uh, movies made on VHS where you hear the constant hiss through the audio. I can handle that. I've seen tons of those movies, and that doesn't bother me. Um, but it's it's this super weird echo. And you know how, like Jason, uh, the Zombie Doom version of Violent Shit 3, the audio recording was really bad? Mm-hmm. This is worse. How, but it's how? worse. Because again, it's just like it's mumbly, audio, uh, echoey mess. It doesn't even make any sense. Um, there is a lot of jumpy slow mo throughout this whole seventy-five minute running time. Uh, but the frame rate for VHS doesn't allow for uh, smooth slow motion when you slow it back down in post. So it's all sorts of choppy anytime they do the slow motion stuff. And so the thing is that bugs me about this movie and after seeing Violent Shit 3 aka Zombie Doom so many times is I can't tell if this shit's supposed to be on purpose or not uh, like is it an artistic choice for this super shitty slow-mo for this horrible audio for camera zooms that that go out of focus or is so tight on a shot and it's so dark that you can't really tell what you're looking at I don't know because in Zombie Doom there's moments throughout the film where the film stock changes. It goes where it looks like normal VHS, then it switched to what looks like eight millimeter for no rhyme or reason, just throughout the entire movie. That obviously had to have been a choice. So is all of this badness a choice as well? So the story of the movie, as best as I can follow anyway, is about Carl the Butcher Shitter. Yep, that's his name. Carl the Butcher Shitter. He escapes police custody and is going around killing people. That's it. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, the movie opens just like the classic John Carpenter film, Halloween. It's a well-crafted, amazingly photographed scene of a child who one day snaps and kills his family. No, wait, that's not true at all. It opens with a long opening credit sequence where you see a child playing with a ball in this shitty, choppy slow motion. And it also looks like it's got some effect on the video where it looks like it's almost reverse negative look to it. Uh, The boy goes inside, gets yelled at by his mother, and then kills his mother. At least we assume that's what happens since we don't actually see the kill. The boy just comes back out with a with a knife covered in blood. Uh, There is a flashback scene in the movie where we see why he killed his mother. Uh, He was visited by a demon who told him to kill her. There you go. At what point he passes out uh, Carl the Butcher after, you know, spending a day killing people. I think he gets a little tired or something because he passes out in this empty field. And then he wakes up at night, at least... I assume what's happening now is supposed to be a dream sequence, but I'm not really sure. This movie telegraphs you nothing. Um, And he's walking through the woods, and he comes across Jesus nailed on the cross. So he goes up to Jesus. He cuts Jesus open in the chest, pulls pulls. (laughs) I can't look at Jason when I talk about this. He's giving me looks. Uh, He pulls Jesus' chest open and crawls inside of it. And then there's the ending. It's a nice, super nice and gory ending, but if anybody out there, anybody please who can explain it to me, please let me know on our Facebook page because it makes no goddamn sense. I'm not even going to get into it. The true benefit of this film is for the gore. Gallons and gallons of blood and guts spilled in this movie, and the camera does not shy away. As a matter of fact, uh, some might say it uh, lingers a little too long. Uh, The camera holds on gore shots so long that even Herschel Gordon Lewis would get bored. Whoa. The the importance of this film, though, and it does have some historic importance. It really does. It was part of the beginning of a film revolution in Germany where they had a very strict censorship board. And this film was actually, believe it or not, released in theaters. That is until the censorship board banned it. But not before... before stifling or stifled horror fans in Germany got a taste of what films could be like in their home country. So it really kind of opened the floodgates for movies like Necromantic, and there was this whole underground revolution that sprung up from that. And um, a movie like Necromantic got, uh, they got away with what they did uh, versus the censorship board by claiming it to be a piece of art. And so it was protected under those rights. Um, There are shots in this movie that run way too long. There's a scene of a girl hitchhiking. Even in fast forward, it lasted like two minutes. Uh, Multiple shots of people driving, which is a huge pet peeve of mine nowadays in movies. um, Especially in in bad movies, B-movies, of scenes of people just driving with no other like dialogue or anything, and there's a shit ton of that in this movie. I want to repeat, this movie is like 75 minutes long, and if you were to cut out all the scenes of, of driving, and all the scenes where like literally nothing is happening, you would probably have a 5 to 10 minute movie. And I'm not exaggerating. Um, <clears throat> now the big scene to really look out for, for you gore fans out there, is when Carl the Butcher Shitter cuts... 
cuts um, open a woman uh, from her vagina upward, totally ripping her in half and pulling out and playing with her guts. Again, for way too long. But uh, it's a nice, uh, creative, gory effect scene. Um, now, I am disappointed in this movie for one thing. <coughs> one major thing, and that is we never see Carl get his iconic mask that he, that he supposedly wears throughout this franchise. So I'm going to now have to watch part two to see this important plot point in the Violent Shit franchise. So that sucks. But um, here's the thing ultimately with me. I didn't necessarily 100% hate this. I understand what it is, what it's for, and why it was made. It's a little too... Um, it's a little too reliant on the fact that, you know, hey, we're just going to do some shocking gore stuff. Some. A lot of times that bugs me. That's why I don't like the Final Destination franchise. Because I feel like filmmakers that just over-rely on the gore feel like that that's all of us mindless horror fans want. And that's not true. But unfortunately, that's all this movie really has to offer. Um, and I could deal with movies shot on VHS, shitty-looking quality, um, but like bad audio is unforgivable. Even if you went back and just redubbed the whole thing, it would have been fine. I could handle that, but that echo is just, it's, it's, um, headache inducing. And I actually like movies that are shot on VHS or shot on 8mm, really shitty looking stuff. Love it. I love it. But this one, especially after we're talking decades of expectations for this movie, because during the, uh, early 90s when this movie came out, uh, I, uh, read a lot of underground movie magazines <coughs> and it was talked about a lot in there and I always always have wanted to see it so it's kind of a bummer um, but uh, we'll see how the rest of the franchise goes when next episode when I cover part two but that's it for this episode covering violent shit part one man you think it's tough to get through it is tough there is I mean it sounds like it's obviously like they just tried to make a movie and it was too short and they needed to make it longer so they left the scenes in there and they oh they had to use a different camera one day so they had to yeah it, it's so definitely got it done, it's definitely a lot of that i mean it was like him and his buddies shooting a movie on weekends over the course of several weeks so where's in why their isn't backyard. it but you like independent film where it's clearly just some friends trying to make a movie no matter what it takes where are you saying there's no heart because that's the thing that makes yeah. the tough movies. That's what still makes me be able to get through it. Because there, there is obviously heart. The guy wants to make these kind of movies. And, and gung-ho, you know, all for it. Just be prepared to do a lot of fast-forwarding <laughs> and watching it. And I'm, and I'm sorry. I hate to say it, but I'm not even kidding. It is... If you could think of a scene... If you t- take Birdemic, for example. Which is a great example of too many scenes of somebody driving. Multiply that by twenty, because it is just a lot of a lot of scenes of, of cars driving and and people driving or you know people, and there's no protagonist in this film at all. It is literally just Carl the butcher going around the countryside, killing people, which again is fine, but 
you know, let's trim some shit up, get a little bit more actual um, content in there compared to just like shooting through the windshield of this car while it drives down the road for a mile. So there you go. All right, so that's it. That's our show. I want to thank uh, the podcast crew for being on. Thanks, Thanks. guys. Also, uh-huh. also want to thank the podcast network for allowing us to be part of their network and Thanks part of their family. Heads. And lastly, I want to thank all of you for listening to our ramblings. <laughs> so now I would like to take us out with the final words from my grandfather, who said, "A truck." <laughs> oh no! Let this be the end of. <laughs> Attack of the killer.